I wonder if you can guess who I am. I'm Baby Jane Hudson. Who the hell was Baby Jane Hudson? I've written a letter to Daddy saying I love you. My sister doesn't ever go out. She's um, not fit to receive visitors. I have bad news. We'll probably have to sell the house. You aren't ever gonna sell this house. And you aren't ever gonna leave it. She's sick and she's not getting any better. You mean Jane? I think she seems much better lately. I was cleaning the cage. The bird got out. To the show, everybody. Welcome back. Ooh, I'm excited for this one, Pete. This is really fun. We've been meaning to get to this movie for a while. Yes, but we I have. think that we ran it on the right moment. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think we're ready. I think that it's been a long time coming, holding off on this one, but uh, we've got a lot to talk about. But uh, everybody out there listening, my name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And And these are are the the movies that that made us gay. Yay. Oh, boy. Well, Scott, let's just cut right to it. Why don't you go ahead and talk about what we watched and who we watched with? You probably already guessed it. We got to our Whatever Happened to Baby Jane episode. Indeed. Directed by Robert Aldrich with our friend Kelly Hardy. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Very special episode. I mean, this, it's just a lot of people at, like, when are you going to do Baby Jane? Oh, yeah. we'll get around to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's so much to unpack with this. I mean, how much are we going to talk about feud? How much are we going to talk about? I mean, about, I feel like, like if you had like a at-home bingo card for the show, sure. talking about Ryan Murphy would probably be like the center of the card. Sure. Well, I mean... Kelly, you mentioned it earlier, a feud from 2017, the documentary. That, as that far we as we're watch. concerned. <laughs> the place where we all learned about the buckle. Oh, the buckle. Oh. Obsessed. <laughs> Was the buckle a real procedure? Who knows? Did Joan get it? It's, it's very, like, alleged. No one really knows. My grandmother had very sunken cheekbones like that. Mm-hmm. And I, if she were not currently deceased, I, I would yes. have some hard questions about the yeah. buckle for her. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that's yeah. So so wild. Their performances were all great in that, but I mean, we're here to talk about the real performances. Yes, right. And I know that Ryan Murphy's show, like all TV shows, I think did take some creative liberties with the real story of these two. How sure. dare you? One hundred percent fact accuracy. 
I think one of the first times that I had heard a, a major reference to whatever happened to Baby Jane is in, um, I think it's an unzipped. Sure. Doesn't Isaac Mizrahi talk about, you are in that chair. Because Isaac <laughs> is talking about they had a teacher in fashion school mm-hmm. that used to say, take your drawing pencil, your drawing pencil, but your drawing pencil. Kind of like <laughs> yar in that chair, Blanche. Ah, your, your, your drawing pencil. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I remember specifically Isaac Mizrahi doing this like... Betty Davis impression. Had you not seen it before? I had not seen it before. Okay, I had seen it before going in, into that documentary. Well, I saw Unzipped when, when it first came out, which was like 96 okay, sure. or something. So. Okay. What At was your first introduction it. to Baby Jane? I didn't see it until I was in my early 30s, which as a, as a human being who wanted to be an old lady from a very, very small age, I, I don't know how I missed this. I was also raised by someone who would spend Mother's Days uh, drawing on Joan Crawford eyebrows with me and watching Mommy Dearest. Love that. Um, so I don't know how I missed this one, but my God, when you see it, the grotesqueness makes a huge impact. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that this movie, growing up uh, with my grandmother in the house and in, actually in my grandmother's house – Something about this movie, the period that this movie was was made in, and just being populated by two older older ladies, it just it's like if you were surrounded by ladies of a certain age growing up, you just certain things just hit, yeah, you know. Certain things in the house, you're just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Just a little stool next to the next to the the phones, so you can like sit and like take notes next because like the phones weren't like you know. They didn't move all over the house at that point. You had to sit right next to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very specific. Uh, Scott, when did you first see it? I first saw this movie when I was in high school. I think that we had just gotten the Netflix DVDs. Ooh. And I remember I got some old movie posters from my stepdad's mother, Dottie. And mm. they were Don's posters when he was young, probably in his teens or early 20s, uh-huh. and one of them was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. What? And I remember looking at the poster of these two women, mm-hmm. and the title of the movie, and it has some crazy, like, tagline. Right. That's just very, like, 60s, like, shocking, like, you better, like, like the last 10 minutes of this movie will, like, shock you. So... I remember I sought it out on Netflix and I watched it with my mom and stepdad. Okay. And I didn't have too much context of both actresses. It was probably my first Betty Davis and Joan Crawford movie I had ever seen too. So yeah, I watched this movie when I was around like 17 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first Joan Crawford movie I had ever seen was definitely Mommy Dearest. Sure. <laughs> because that came out in 82 and like we talked about in, in that episode, uh, being – such a young kid at the time we thought it was you just thought it was a joan crawford movie you had no idea that was faye dunaway absolutely (laughs) so to me that was that was uh my first joan crawford movie i don't know that i had seen very many uh betty davis movies but um escape from witch mountain oh well watcher in the woods watcher in the woods yeah (laughs) they're the same film to me at this point isn't she isn't she in one of the witch mountains though yeah, I think she is. She might be. And uh, there's also the um, – what is that movie that we watched where she, she died in the middle of the production? Oh, that's the um, – oh, that's like the weird stepmother movie. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. seen that? I know that I have. It's it's, it's pretty Betty's crazy. last movie and it also has Tia Carrera in it, right? 
Does it? <laughs> Jesus. On. I have to. I have to. I have to fact check this. Okay, well, while you're fact checking that, I've got the poster here, and it says, Sister, sister, oh so fair, why is there blood all over your hair? Yes. <laughs> and then there's a little, uh says, things you should know about this motion picture before buying a ticket. Let's see. What should we know? If you're longstanding fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, we warn you this is quite unlike anything they've ever done. Two, you are urged to see it from the beginning. Three. Be prepared for the macabre and the terrifying. Four, we ask you pledge to keep the shocking climax a secret. And five, when the tension begins to build, try to remember it's just a movie. I love that shit of just how they used to sell movies in the, especially at this time in the early 60s, just just because a movie like Psycho is such a game changer. Yeah. Of how you market movies. Yeah. I forget that there's like, I mean, would you call it a twist? At the end? I think it's a twist. Yeah, it's a twist. Yeah. It's a gag. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Because at, and even at that point, you're starting to sympathize with, with Jane. Ugh, so mm-hmm. weird. Okay, so update. It's called Wicked Stepmother, and it is not <laughs> Tia Carrera. It is uh, Barbara Carrera. Okay. And yeah. Close. And they she died midway in the make or, – or she quit. No, she died. She died. Yeah. Um, because it was in the 80s when she was like super frail and she weighed like 35 pounds and mm-hmm. was like just all And they all ended up ash. writing a mother and daughter pair of witches. Right. Just so they could cast somebody younger. Yeah, they kind of replaced the character and they're like, oh, your daughter's here and she's a witch now too. We caught this movie on Sling yes, about did. a year ago. Yeah. Very crazy. She, It's that 80s era and there are uh, like Tonight Show interviews where, that you can look up, and she just looks so frail and teeny mm-hmm. tiny. It's crazy. That I mean, it's woman. wild that when you watch this movie that came out in 1961, mm-hmm. I mean, 1950, the year that she did All About Eve, only 12 years before, mm-hmm. and just like, she just looks like an old lady in this movie. <laughs> but that's just how she aged, sure. just from booze and cigarettes. Sure. Now, did, I mean, I'm sure we can we can do the math at some point, but are they even in their 60s, these two actresses, when they're shooting this movie? Or are they in their late 50s? They might be late 50s. Yeah. And I think Betty Davis is wearing, you know, if, if the documentary feud is to be believed, right. Betty Davis <laughs> is wearing like a lot of prosthetic. Sure. And I don't know how much of that is also her jowls or if those are her own jowls right. that she brought from home. They, they may have been. This movie opens up this vaudeville scene. And it's the very first thing you see is it says 1917. Wild. Just like, what? Yeah. Like World <laughs> War One was happening and the these? opening of like was the – was like the context of the opening of this movie. And this audience, this vaudeville audience, this is like some Walt Disney Main Street USA. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, like Mary Poppins looking audience, right? And, you know, it just, it's crazy when you think about, you know, entertainment. And again, growing up with with my grandparents around the house that, you know, they just, if they would just like someone would break into song and it would just be the highlight of their month. A tap dancing little girl would just bring the house. Oh down. my goodness. The most mm-hmm. talent you've ever seen. Just like if, if you, if you just did a little <laughs> dance, like they would just be like, Oh my goodness, this person give them an Academy award. So I don't know if it's just like pre rock and roll or what. I think people were just that hard up for entertainment <laughs> that they had to go watch this little girl sing letters to daddy. Sure. And the audience is children, but it's all their parents. And when they ask for uh, 
requests every like the whole audience oh, yeah. are just pushing each other over trying to like shout out what song they want it's like deaf comedy jam like trying to shout out what song they want to hear and finally one like small boy is like letters to daddy, letters to daddy. and okay and this is her actual this is baby jane and uh blanche's actual father yes that's like kind of leading the gig okay it's the barker for baby jane right yeah so. he's definitely a carnival barker for and it's her. just kind of fucked up that this is a song about a little girl singing to her dead father in heaven <laughs> just like this movie definitely has some daddy issues but then she gets up and does a little jig with her actual dad Mm -hmm. who's there um but this is when we see that you know baby jane hudson is on the marquee in what looks to be like permanent oh headlining like letters she's she's headlining this This letterhead this is not like they're not moving this around like Mm -hmm. you know at wendy's this is like this looks (laughs) this is welded onto this theater and she has um, a like she has a residency there yes she definitely has a residency there and uh so she's making the money. She's pulling in, you know, these audiences. And her poor sister, Blanche, is it ever established who's the elder sister? Is it Blanche? I mean, Blanche looks about 45 yeah. as a child. <laughs> Even so though, it's yeah. assumed mm-hmm. that she's the older yeah. one. The child Blanche does look like a grown woman, a short grown woman. Um, but they're very close in age, though. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also, too, the baby Jane actress, it's not a baby. This is a girl, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is a kid that's, you know, she's acting like a baby. She's got, like, the, you know, the the curly hair and all that stuff. And um, I love the life-size baby Jane dolls that are for sale. I mean, I uh, have a few dolls in my closet <laughs> that I collect, but I do not collect this type of doll because... This is some weird well, shit right here. That's just weird. Yeah. This is just weird. It's the come to life murder you doll. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the full sized <laughs> human doll that no one yes. wants to have. <laughs> yeah, they I they still make like life size Barbie dolls like that and they're just, they're so odd. Very unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're uh it's nineteen seventeen we've established they're three dollars and a quarter. They're three twenty five. I wonder how much that would I mean that would probably be like seventy dollars. <laughs> Yeah, probably in today's dollar for a for a a doll. But it's just so sad right off the bat that you know she's out there, she's singing and dancing, doing her little like soft shoe on the stage, and Blanche just you know altruistic Blanche. She doesn't need she doesn't need a popsicle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but she's gonna make them look real bad over it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) The line that Baby Jane says, and she's like. I make the money. I should get whatever I want when her father denies her ice cream is the most chilling, like <laughs> middle-aged Kim Cattrall delivery. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. And I love also, you know, this is at the stage door. And so all the families are there watching and you hear like the, like the, like 80 yard, like parents, what, what do they say? Like, Oh, it's all the parents fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I find just, like, child actors to be very fascinating. Like, the dynamic between child actors and their parents for when they really are paying the bills. Like, what is that relationship like? Yeah. So it's always been around. Yeah, it's got to be pretty Mm -hmm. crazy. And uh, tangent, but Will Wheaton just did, like, some podcast where he went on and they were talking to him about Stand By Me. And he's like, oh, I totally understood the character because I was 
fully emotionally abused by my parents. Putting his parents on blast. And I'm like, whoa. Well, <laughs> I think this is the first time he's ever really talked about Well, he about talked it. about that in that HBO child actor documentary directed by Alex Winter. Oh, okay. Where he talked about that. Okay. Did I and miss that? Did he, I fall asleep he, for that part? He came off as a little bitter. Yeah. He was very much mm-hmm. like my parent, my my mom wanted to be an actor and didn't, so she put me into it. And like, it's it's taken him like years of therapy, yeah, to come to all these conclusions. And I was just like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. blast everybody. So I guess yeah, it's in the documentary too. But yeah, these revelations are just coming out. But you're right, it's uh, it's a thing. But we do get Blanche being like, like I said, trying to be altruistic, but again, coming off as like. I'm going to I'm going to make her look like an asshole. <laughs> I love that scene with uh Blanche's mother when she pulls her aside backstage. You're the lucky one, Blanche, really you are. Someday it's going to be you that's getting all the attention. And when that happens I I want you to try to be kinder to Jane and your father than they are to you now. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I hope you'll try and remember that. I won't forget. You bet I won't forget. I have to say, yep. the younger Blanche, while she, they're only the scene lasts less than five minutes, but that actress, that mature actress who plays younger Blanche, she's actually really good, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the looks that she's giving when the parent, when the mom's telling her that you know, and the mom kind of put some heavy shit on her too because she's like well one day you're gonna be the center of attention well what if she doesn't yeah it's like you don't know that <laughs> you don't know she's gonna grow up and be a huge star well cut to 1934 and these scenes are cool these scenes are really interesting when they're uh i think that this is probably just like a studio uh screening room and they're mm-hmm. watching old movies from Bette Davis and Joan Crawford. The Betty Davis one is called Parachute Jumper and X-Lady, both from 1933. And the Joan Crawford movie is called Sadie McKee. Okay. So they're watching these old Betty Davis movies. And I think the idea is to is to kind of telegraph that uh, Baby Jane has grown up. She's They're trying to put her in adult roles. And she stinks. Right? Kind of shady to just, <laughs> to just Betty in general. Well, because they're showing old Betty Davis. Because they're movies. showing old Betty Davis movies. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Like, I thought that she had always had this reputation of just being like one of our finest actresses. It's such a weird. It's such a weird moment of 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 like seeing sort of like behind the curtain of film finance. Also, where yes. you have this this exec who's presumably put all of this money behind this film, who's just like losing his mind because it's not good enough. And I feel like. Prior to this film, that wasn't something that, like, the public really saw or was yeah. like, super aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood wasn't in the business of making movies that made Hollywood look bad. And that's what was so shocking about a movie like Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. That it rubbed a lot of people like uh, the MGM guy yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. That this is not a flattering movie about Hollywood. The system, yeah. And the system, yeah. And we learned that... Now Blanche, like her mother predicted, is the huge star, mm-hmm. but she's put all these like clauses in her contract that for every movie she makes, they have to have a vehicle for for baby Jane. So interesting. Which is crazy. Yeah. Which is something that you would have probably have seen at the studio system. I don't 
don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of like you an have example. To be a big star to get away, but with it's that. like I guess that Olivia De Havilland and Joan Fontaine. But I don't know if they would have ever had something in their contracts like this. Yeah, it seems know. like it would have been the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Olivia De Havilland would not yeah. have been not at my studio, not on my watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, but this is just a brief, you know, uh, a brief little thing to kind of show us that, like, now that they're, you know, now that they're adults. Blanche has come into her own and, and baby Jane is like, she's a big old stinker. She's not, she was cute as a child star. She's, and she's getting washed up as an adult actress. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a, like a well-known drunk about town. Oh, that's well. right. They yeah. do mention that. for why she's so terrible. Yeah. She was like the Lindsay Lohan of her time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. I mean, hey, again. Showing the, up the, the set balls. <laughs> yep. They, they, they can't, they can't, uh, they can't ensure I can't assure you if you're a, a wild drunk. I love these brief scenes of this opening on the lot because I'm a sucker for any scene in a movie that's on a movie lot and a showgirl walks by. <laughs> it's very Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. You want somebody in like a suit of armor. Yeah, I love showgirl, that. Showgirl. Like, cowboy. Yeah, and I was going to say like an Apache chief like somewhere. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's an Ed Wood. But then it cuts to the kind of amazing opening scene. Which is like this very mysterious. Yeah, I guess it is. A, I guess it is a big twist because it's very mysterious. This opening scene. What's you going get the on. car, yeah. and somebody gets out of the car to open the gate, and so the car just rams into the gate. Mm-hmm. You're you're to assume that it crashes right into the person, and then you get the cool like the baby doll with the broken face, yeah, and all that, and the like, and the logo. This old timey car that has this crazy like shifter with like oh, yeah <laughs> like a lever on it there's going to be no support for you in that front seat if you get in a car accident <laughs> there's no seatbelt in that car at all but yeah so we get the we get the big accident that sets up like the whole movie and um then it just cuts like right into you know the present day which is 60 62 62 and this beautiful old house in hancock park and shot on location in, Han- in hancock park because you can drive by this house on McCadden. Yeah, I think yes. it's around Largemont, I think. Does it cut right into the neighbors? Yes. The the mother and daughter? Who's Betty Davis's real-life daughter. Yes. Oh, obsessed with her performance in this movie. Yes. Gee, she must be about 150 by now. As a matter of fact, dear, I think Blanche Hudson's just a few years older than I am. Really? Yes, dear, really. Well, how can we never see her around? We've been living next door to them for six months now. And the only one I ever see is that fat sister slouching around. Don't they ever have company? I mean, it must be awful. You know, Julie says that sister is kind of peculiar. Did you ever notice that? No, I never have. Well, that's what Julie told me. She said that she was supposed to be responsible for the accident that crippled her sister Blanche. Well, that all happened a very long time ago, dear. And maybe you shouldn't pay too much attention to everything that Julie Fowler tells you. There's too many people in this town with nothing else to do but talk. Maybe so. But Julie's folks have lived here a long time. I guess you should know. Uh, Turn off the volume, dear. We're missing the picture. It's so terrible, but I kind of love it, though. (laughs) Because it's just that stiff television actress. It's it's just that stiff television acting. Uh Uh-huh. Her, the actress's name is B.D. Merrill. Uh, in Feud, she was played by Kiernan Shipka of uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Sabrina and Mad Men. <laughs> yep. Um, who I think is way more beautiful than the, than the actual actress. I don't know if that's shady, but sure. I mean, 
It's the truth, though. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, you know, when I first watched this movie, I never th- was like, ooh, who is a P.U.? She's terrible. <laughs> I was just like, whatever. She's just like... You got, kind of have to be, like, looking for it. Yeah, or, like, have it be pointed out that Betty Davis's daughter is in this role. And she kind of had a reputation of... Uh, she was like, she wasn't very good. Sure. But, you know, it's just they're... they're um, the neighbors, they you know, they live next door to to the Hudson sisters. She's watching old uh, Joan. I meant Blanche movies on TV, <laughs> yes. and that would that would have been a thing around this time and yeah. the making of this movie that a younger audience that may not have seen Joan and Betty in the movie theater mm-hmm. were now discovering these movies on on TV. Yeah. And how that was just sort of reaching a new audience. And that was kind of one of the things with Warner Brothers making this movie is that there's a whole new audience that has never seen these two on the big screen. And this is like their big this is like their big introduction to them from watching these movies on TV. Right. I mean, I remember growing up in the 80s and cable was just cable was a new thing and and network television was still huge and just all weekend long would just be movies. Like here in LA, just you just put it on Channel 5 and you just watch movies all day, all afternoon on Saturdays and Sundays. And especially at this time that it would have been like a marathon of old Joan Crawford movies that sure. would just be on in the afternoon. Right. Well, uh, th- this is the same logic that was employed by uh, Mr. Gus Van Sant when, when uh, deciding to remake Psycho. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, audiences were not familiar modern audiences were not familiar with it so let's give them something that they can latch on to for the MTV generation <laughs> uh i think it was successful but that's another episode mm-hmm. Are we ever going to get around to that one wait did we do that one no we didn't no not the gus van sant psycho <laughs> we should do a commentary for uh, for the patreon yeah for the gus van sant psycho um, but the neighbors, you know, the daughter's watching TV and she's like, oh, that's, you know, she she notices that it's Blanche, right? That it's mm-hmm. the neighbors. And uh, so we finally see, you know, the inside of this house, this crazy, I mean, it's not quite a mansion. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice. It's a nice, it's a nice house in Hancock Park. Sure. It's set up in the, in the studio lot scene that they're about to move into Valentino's old house to like a much bigger and more exciting home. And for some reason, the accident trapped them in this tiny rat hole <laughs> yeah. tiny rat hole mansion that they do a really great job of uh of making feel very claustrophobic even though it's yes. clearly from the exterior shots like a palatial mm-hmm. wonderful spanish style home yes all you see is just blanche's bedroom the stairs in the kitchen well no you see like the parlor sure. or the living room yeah. you know when when like the, the like the foyer that goes from like the front door well when victor bono comes over stairs. and uh she has tea with him downstairs and mm-hmm. uh does like the piano and all that but it's got that thing that like sometimes uh sometimes like older people's homes where it's like I guess just all the curtains are closed. Yeah. It's just really dark. There's rooms you don't use yeah. or go in. Yeah. They're, they're for company. Yeah, just furniture that never gets... That's one of my favorite parts on. about walking around San Marino is just sort of looking in the windows of these old <laughs> mansions pretty much. Yeah. And they just look dark. Yeah. They look dark and scary. Yes. Could there be a Blanche upstairs? 
of one of those houses. In any one of those houses. Possibly. Something just as kooky mm-hmm. as whatever happened to Baby Jane is going on right now. In each one of those houses. I, I guarantee it. Um, but yeah, this <laughs> it is it is funny that this house is kind of I mean it's it's dark and it's um you know it's been occupied by these two you know I I hesitate to to call them spinsters. <laughs> um, oh, we haven't even talked about you know the whole concept of what th- this genre of movies has kind of evolved into or not even evolved into but what they kind of refer to this genre of movie we haven't said the dreaded exploitation. <laughs> yeah hagsploitation psycho bitty mm-hmm. grand dame grand dame guignol, guignol. <laughs> that, that's always a hard word for me to guignol. pronounce uh yeah <laughs> exploitation it's just be. sort of exploiting older actresses when their looks have faded and they're just starting to get desperate yeah well right i th- i would say like yes but this one sort of backfires the first couple times you watch this movie your jaw's just on the floor for like how gruesome it is mm-hmm. and then the more you watch it you're like oh this is actually like a very sort of like beautiful film about how women deal with aging yeah. and mm-hmm. what los yeah. angeles as a city like does to people and mm-hmm. what you know the proximity to fame with people next door and so it, it actually ends up like like i feel like this is like you know the uh, the oscar version of hagsploitation yeah. sure yeah kind of the broken dreams of los angeles yeah yes especially being from the height of their career to just plummeting yeah that they're now at this low point and they're just confined to this house and all they have is each other. Yeah. I think the first time I heard the term psycho bitty or uh, actual, actually exploitation was, was uh, from John Waters. I think it was in a, in a commentary for one of his movies. And I was like, Oh my God, exploitation is so <laughs> amazing. It's going into my vernacular today. But yeah, it's interesting that you you say this is like uh, the Oscar version or kind of like the highbrow like hag exploitation movie. But was this movie at the time kind of not a B movie? Well, I it's think not that an expensive. I think movie. it sort of started out as a small B movie mm-hmm. for Warner Brothers. Yeah, and probably Betty and Joan got to the point where they could become affordable to have them both in a movie with each other. And it was just probably a movie that was directed at young people for the following years after Psycho that they were just going to get on the psychological horror bandwagon Mm -hmm. of the early 60s and just the public loved it. And it just sort of became an Oscar movie because it got five Academy Award nominations, including uh, two acting nominations, one for Betty and the other one for Victor. And it won for black and white costume. Okay. So it just sort of became like this awards movie. Right. Even though that was probably never really the path for it. Yeah. I think initially they were probably just like, let's, let's make some money. And if we're uh, supposed to believe feud, and I think this is actually the case, that Joan brought this book and yes. property to Jack Warner. I think that's the actual, mm-hmm. yeah. If I remember correctly. And she had this idea of, you should put me and Betty in this movie. I've always wanted to work with her, and this is sort of the, just the, this is such a good vehicle for both of us. Right. Okay. We finally get inside this house, and Blanche is 
wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. This is a two story house. There's no elevator. No. Um, I no love Gremlins chair. No. That whisks no. you oh, up the and down Gremlins the stairs. Chair. That's what they they fully could have done that in the sixties. Oh, yeah. I do love that there is um, a velvet rope on the wall mm-hmm. going up yeah. the stairs. I mean those. I, that. I mean that staircase <laughs> is just it. That it's like the fourth character of the movie (laughs) and it's one straight shot there's Mm -hmm. no landing it doesn't turn at all it doesn't curve it's just boom straight up the stairs like brady bunch style Mm -hmm. um but she's pretty much now you're just like okay she's like literally trapped up there and she's relying on jane on jane to help her baby jane Mm -hmm. and jane has taken to oh my god just the way she shuffles around this house dragging her feet on the yeah. floor every move she makes you can hear betty davis just betty acting with her entire body and yes. when she's dragging her feet walking up those stairs it's so good she is just so tired of everything mm-hmm. like she just oh fuck she's just like cannot bear to give any more fucks about anything in her entire life but you know they did it it's interesting because i don't know if it's just a generational thing or if it's uh a status thing but this like silver tea service that she takes mm-hmm. the you know oh, all God, the meals yeah. upstairs to blanche she takes all of her all the the meals are underneath a silver cloche on like a you know, tray and like all the cutlery and everything is just this beautiful silver that she's using. And it's, again, I don't know if it's just something that like, well, old people do that kind of stuff. They're so much more formal. Or is it just like, no, we're rich, dude. I'm going to use, <laughs> I'm using the silver every day. The scene where she's polishing the teapot for Victor. Yeah. Is, yeah. is just the hopeful date. Like, yeah. That prep crazy teapot is like, yeah. And that's like the old timey, like coffee, uh, like percolator thing. Mm-hmm. That's like plugged into the wall. Yeah. Um, so Blanche is dependent on her for everything. She has uh, a buzzer to buzz downstairs. She's got a phone in her bedroom at the and, beginning of the movie. And her bird. And she's got a bird in a cage. Yep. Yeah. Her only friend. Her only, her only friend. And Elvira. Yeah. Elvira, I love the actress that plays Elvira. I think the, she's really good in this yes, movie. Elvira is the housekeeper who comes once a week. She just comes one day a week. That's it. Um, Because otherwise, I'm just like the whole time. I'm just like, tell Elvira, like tell Elvira. But they keep coming up with these like reasons for Elvira not to be there, which is like kind of clever. And Elvira just straight up calls Jane out on all of her bullshit, like to her face. Yeah, of that. I don't like you. I don't like your intentions. You're drinking too much. You're drinking too much. You're treating your sister like garbage. Yeah. You're opening the mail. Oh yes. She discovers the fan mail. That um, because they've been showing the movies on TV, she's been getting mm-hmm. a lot of fan mail recently, and been, Jane yeah. has been hiding it yes. and opening it. Well, she's been throwing it away and throwing it away, yeah, yep. right into the trash. But you know, Elvira fishes it out of the trash. She shows it to Blanche, and, but the whole time Blanche just keeps making excuses for Jane. She's like, "Oh no, she's not sick. Like, I don't know, just a residual. I don't know, not guilt. I mean, this is just." That difficult person that she's been dealing with her whole life. And it's her sister. Mm-hmm. So she's just like, yeah. Just sort of making excuses for her erratic behavior. Yeah. 
Instagram psychology would call that narcissistic abuse. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Blanche, definitely uh, borderline personality. Is that, is, that what, is that a thing? It is a thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't... My, I mean, that's my personal if psychology. Jane and Blanche had like an Instagram account, I just... Mm-hmm. I don't even want to know what they would be posting under that account. <laughs> Blanche's would be so insufferably boring. Mm-hmm. And twee. I mean, wouldn't it just be like just the same picture of the driveway here's my, <laughs> here's my bird <laughs> and yeah and the bird so i love when uh jane comes in and she's like i'll clean the bird's cage and she like takes the cage and then when she like shuffles back upstairs and she's just like what did she say she's just like bird got out yeah <laughs> deal with away. it he flew away <laughs> and elvira's like you let him out she's like I told you. It's cleaning the cage. Flew Flew out. (laughs) And she just hangs up the cage back. (laughs) Okay, the empty... Yeah, but why would you not put that in storage somewhere? Why put the empty cage back? (laughs) She wants Blanche to look at it, though. To see it. And see see that her her only friend in the room is now gone. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how, like, sadistic she is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love, I do love this bedroom. So we have the bed with like this crazy contraption, this like bar that she has, you know, to, to hoist herself from her chair onto the bed and back and forth. Beautiful glamour shot of Joan when that she's young. That portrait oh, above yeah. the bed. Yeah. And I like to it. think that Joan brought that. She brought her own. She yeah. brought her own. <laughs> she brought her own portrait. A hundred percent. She had Mama Sita take it yeah. off the yeah. wall <laughs> and wrap it in brown paper, brown, brown like. Yeah. Mama Sita, it's coming mm-hmm. with us to Warner. Yeah. She may have brought, like, options. Yeah. She might have brought, like, three. The rest were in her dressing room. Yeah. Yeah. Choose the one you want. It's interesting. Uh, was, uh, I can't think of her name, from Feud that played uh, Joan Crawford. Why can't I think of Ryan Murphy's muse? Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, Jessica, Jessica Lange. Lange. Jessica Lange. Yeah. Is she doing a Joan Crawford impression? Is there a Joan Crawford impression? I think she's doing a Joan impression. Is there one to be done? I don't know. I mean, don't we all just become Joan Crawford at a certain age? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, are we all or Faye? Yeah, <laughs> just become Faye Dunaway. Um, but yeah, uh, when I think of Joan now, I do think of Jessica Lange and this this delivery of her. It's how she hits those A's, Craw <laughs> Crawford, Crawford. I'm, well, also there's the. The mid-Atlantic accent that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody just has at this movie. Well, and especially that when you sort of look at the um, the talent of both Joan and Betty, that Joan was sort of a product of the studio system that they were perfecting the right celebrity, like mm-hmm. the right actress. So she was just sort of groomed by the studio. And I think that from everything I've read about Betty is that she was the more raw talent of the okay. two. And like, Joan kind of went through the... Mm-hmm. The paces of the, the system. Yeah, and Betty wasn't afraid to look um, disheveled or ugly for a role. Like, she was really into transforming into the character. Sure. And you can really see it well done in a role like Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, do like, I do like the idea of, of, of Mama Sita wrapping the portraits in, <laughs> in butcher paper <laughs> with tweed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like old-timey Christmas presents. So the first time Elvira leaves, she says she's got jury duty. So she's out. She's gone for like two weeks or something. And, uh, you know, Jane is 
bringing up, you know, lunch and dinner and on all these meals one at a time. And the bird flies away. You think the bird flies away. And it's the next day. Is is it? Uh, it's her dinner because she didn't. Eat, she didn't eat her din din. <laughs> well, you're getting also the whole um, the whole discussion that uh, Blanche is going to sell the house. Yes, because they are kind of living off of Blanche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all of her money. I mean, I guess we're. I guess we're just to understand that. Jane's acting career as an adult never took off, so she never really mm-hmm. couldn't have made that much money. So all everything that they're living off, and of they is- can't quite afford this house anymore. Is it because they can't afford the house, or is it because Blanche just doesn't want to live with Jane anymore? Probably a little bit of both. I know, but she, you know, we get uh, we get some information that she's been talking to her her money guy, mm-hmm. and he's putting the house on the market, but but Jane doesn't know. But um, the first real instance that we see of, of abuse is the dinner of finely sliced tomatoes. And yeah. <laughs> the tray presentation of that bird. She that. went through some trouble. Mm-hmm. Yep. So many tomatoes. So had, many. Were sacrificed for a, this platter. Yes. Beautiful garnish of tomatoes. Yeah. She is a bed. Mm. <laughs> Does she have one of those mandolins? I don't know. But... Uh, I want to see. I want to see a scene of Jane making this plate. Well, you know, this was done at a time when American cuisine is notoriously uh, looked back on as being pretty gross. So I, I kind of wish it that the yeah. bird, kind of wish that the bird was like in Jello or something, <laughs> like an aspic, like in a mold. You know? The only thing about this film I don't buy is that Jane is making all of these meals. Like there's yeah. a pork chop at one point. Yeah. It's like, I does she have it together enough for that? Right. Sure. It seems complicated. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I feel like, especially with all the all the booze, like some, yeah, there'd be something there'd be something in those in those meals besides like a bird, a band aid, or a fingernail or something. But like scenes like this with the with. With the dead bird, mm-hmm. the dead rat. That's just the great camp elements of the story that so many people just really remember. Like, yes. that's why this movie is just regarded so high as this camp classic are yeah. these crazy scenes. Yeah. Well, I think, too, at the time, this was kind of thought of as a, as a horror movie, like in the mm-hmm. way like Psycho. You know, today to modern audiences, you'd watch Psycho and you really think of it as like a psychological thriller or something. But to audiences in the 60s, this is like a straight up like this is like they're going to watch like Saw or something, <laughs> right? Sure. When she lifts up that tray. Yeah. I love the score of when she's about to lift up the tray. I think it's with the rat. It's with the rat. Cause it's, she's like going to, no, it's with the pork chop. Oh, sure. Because that's when she goes to like, mm-hmm. she, like every time her like hand goes to it and, then and she you, stops. and you fully hear like drums, <laughs> but she eventually stops and, and doesn't do it and leaves the play. And that's like the psychological, like brilliance of Jane. Because the first day she leaves the dead bird, just laughs her ass off. Then the next day, she brings in food, and Blanche doesn't touch it. And she's like, and that's what, <laughs> and that's the din-din that she doesn't eat. You didn't eat mm-hmm. your din-din. <laughs> <laughs> and then she ultimately takes off the cloche, and it's yeah. a full, like, 
pork chop picks it up and just like bites into it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're to believe that this has been there all night since the previous. This is yesterday's dinner. and and she didn't bring her breakfast. Yeah, because she didn't. She didn't eat her din 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 din. We didn't have to refrigerate things in the past. Oh, that no. pork no. chop can just stay out all night. Yeah. She can eat it in the morning. Fully it's fine. cooked, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Some of my favorite moments of this movie and the performances of these two is when they sort of have these quiet discussions where they're just sort of contemplating just their lives. The but you are in that chair <laughs> that like Blanche is reliant on Jane and it's just this this power struggle between these two and you can just see both of these actresses are playing it that they've had this entire past. Yeah. I think those scenes are really good. Yeah, they are. Um I think it's really it's really interesting when Blanche will like float an idea by very nicely. And then Jane will just be like, what? Why are you going to, what? You know, and just kind of like snap at her for something. And then she'll kind of like roll it back and be like, well, actually. And it's just the way that she deals with her. It's like she'll she'll try something. She'll put her foot in the water. And then like if it gets a bad response, then she kind of like shifts gears. And everything that she says to Jane is just in the very like almost like placating way to not upset her. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's that moment right after the. Uh, yarn ever getting out of that chair, Blanche, where she mentions the accident. And she says that you promised me that you would never mention that. Uh-huh. And you can tell that it's a sore subject. Jane. Jane. Do you remember when I first came back after the accident? You promised you wouldn't ever talk about that again. I know I did. But I'm still in this chair. After all those years, I'm still in this chair. Doesn't that give you some kind of responsibility? Jane, I'm just trying to explain to you how things really are. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are! Blanche, you are in that chair. But you are in that chair. <laughs> oh, God, that is one of the greatest line reads of all time. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And I love that little bit of score. And it's almost like Jane's, like, kooky theme mm-hmm. where it's, I don't know what it is, like, strings or something. Yeah. It's especially how this, shot, how this shot is framed, that it's shot from outside and it's looking through with the bars on the window. Mm-hmm. You're looking through Blanche's prison. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if it was just a choice from Betty that she was going to do the jar. Like she was going to just combine those two words with, but jar, not you are, jar in that chair. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Just so good. Maybe it was just in the moment. She was great though. Yeah. That view from out that window, she can see into the driveway. She can kind of see the neighbors. Mm-hmm. I love Jane's interactions with the neighbor. Yeah. Because the neighbor lady, she's trying. She's really trying to just be like, oh, hi. And she's just like, shut up. Mm-hmm. I do not have time for you right now. So first thing that happens is uh, Jane finds out that Blanche has been trying to make phone calls to the banker guy. Because she re- first thing she does is rip out the phone. 
first. Yeah. Right. She leaves it off the hook, so she can't make any phone calls. Well, that's what she... Yeah, she does that yeah. downstairs. She leaves it off the hook. Then she's like, why was the phone off the hook? Blah, blah, blah. Then she goes to the wall and, like, rips the cord out of the wall. Because at that time, your phone was like... It came out of the wall like cable TV. It wasn't a plug. Mm-hmm. Like, you had to have, like, a guy come and, like, install it because it was, like... Like, the city owned it, I think. I think the city's, like, owned your phone or something. Um, so, yeah, she rips it out of the, out of the wall. And so for, that's, like, the first time, you know, Jane feels like she's really trapped up there. Or, I'm sorry, Blanche. Is that when uh, you aren't you're never going to sell this house? Mm-hmm. Because they kind of get into an argument about the, the bank guy. Yeah. Or the, the money guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and we find out that there's nothing going on in the house that Jane doesn't know. Right. Yes. And we find out that she has been, although, I mean, a little obvious, but we find out she's been spying on all of Blanche's very limited activity. Oh, right. Because Blanche says, like, oh, well, I called him, like, a week ago. And she's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, he didn't write you no letters. He didn't write you no letters. Yeah. Blanche's voice when she's, or Jane's voice when she's trying to disguise herself as Blanche is kind of amazing. And I was reading that it is actually Joan. Well, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. actually. But my favorite part about when she's doing the the Blanche impression, and that's like crazy next level. Yes. Well, right first there. of all, that's like psycho, right? Mm-hmm. That she can, you know, she does these this pitch perfect impression of her sister. But Betty Davis's performance when she's oh yeah syncing the the lines. <laughs> It's so good. It's great, like crazy, just so over the top, like woo, like rolling her eyes everywhere. Ah, you have to watch it just for that. But um, she cut off her liquor delivery. Like you have to give it your A plus performance to yeah. get that. Oh yeah, to get that booze coming back to the house. <laughs> she's got to have her brands. Yeah, I love that. Same brand. Same brands. <laughs> same <laughs> I forgot what she orders, but she orders a lot of booze. I do love the scene that's shot from inside the kitchen cabinet looking out and it's just like bottles and bought like empty bottles of booze she's just like looking through <laughs> but we have a little bit of um blanche kind of like or uh jane kind of uh telling blanche that she knows what the hell's going on blanche you aren't ever gonna sell this house <laughs> and you aren't ever gonna leave it Either. I think the um, the first clip that we played is the scene that that follows this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, yeah, that's right after that one. You know what's kind of interesting about mm-hmm. this movie is that I think that it really goes in hard with the camp elements at the beginning of the movie, but then there's kind of a middle section and ending that I kind of forget about. That it does go into some dark places that you're like, oh shit, like this movie, this movie's getting to be a lot. Well, we need to talk about Jane's plan to break back into the business. Yeah. (laughs) She posts in the personal columns. Well, I mean. What does she say? The personal, I've always thought the personals were nice. (laughs) It's just so much nicer. So much nicer. So much nicer. She posts an advertisement that she needs somebody to accompany her. On piano. On piano. This costuming. I love her going she, out outfit. So she, go, but she goes to Western costume to have all of her the 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 things that she performed in as a child remade yes. mm-hmm. in her adult sixty year old size. 
<laughs> yes, she's a, she says that she has taken in all of her old her measurements and all of her old costumes. Uh, yeah, to be refitted or, or just completely remade. <laughs> her fans are waiting. The fans are waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of it in the trailer at the top of the episode when she is at the newspaper placing this this ad for an an. I keep having trouble saying this word for an accompanist. Mm-hmm. Accompanist. Um, so she's placing this ad, and the guy's like, "Okay, uh, I need your name, you know, to place the ad." And she's like, <laughs> "Did she? What did she say? Like, she's like, don't you know who don't I you am? Know who I am? Mm-hmm. Baby Jane Hudson." And he looks at her and he's like, "Uh huh." <laughs> but yeah, he says, "Okay." Um, and it's like, why, why even ask? But he asks, do you want to place this in the want ads or the personals? And she says the personals. It's just nicer. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> she needs a p- a piano accompanist. And then this is when we get, I mean, the amazing Victor Buono, this performance to me. So good in this movie. <laughs> Just sounding like they're fresh. His mother is like fresh off the boat from like Britain, from like we Britain. <laughs> yeah, the two of them together living in this bungalow in and LA. He's, he's in his daytime business suit, his yeah. pajamas. You know, mm-hmm. it's presumably like three in the afternoon. He's looking at the want ads, mm-hmm. finds uh, Baby Jane's advertisement. But I guess he's also looking in the personal ads right. for a job. So maybe yeah. this was just something, something that, that we you did. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I love though uh it, his back and forth with the mother. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I love that they live together. And also this little like bungalow strip that they live in, it's so LA. Like there's still places like that. They look exactly like that. Yeah, definitely. Like you walk down the little sidewalk right mm-hmm. in the middle and there's like Two little houses, identical houses on each side of you, and then one in the back. I was just like, I know exactly like the type What's of place. Interesting in about how this movie is shot, and it was probably a budget issue that they couldn't work on the back a lot, a lot. They couldn't build a lot of sets, so they had sure. to shoot a lot of stuff probably on location. Yeah, these scenes where uh, Betty is driving to the newspaper, mm-hmm. it's just. Betty Davis driving in a car. Like, they didn't do, like, (laughs) rear screen production. Like, she's fully, like, driving down Highland. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing when I watch that Mm -hmm. scene. I'm like, where is that? It kind of looks like Highland. Highland or or La Brea. Who knows? I mean, at that time, it could have been anywhere. Mm -hmm. Totally different. But, yeah, it's, like, it's not a sort of overly produced rear screen screen projections. It's just Betty driving in a car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or... B-roll of a mm-hmm. you know different actor or something, and then cut to the close-up. It's like it's fully her. I love when she turns on Larchmont and is in the exact same horrifying Larchmont traffic in Larchmont <laughs> Village that we can uh, get in right. I this hate minute. that corner of when you're uh, when you're like about to turn that corner, and it's always so backed up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you listeners know what we're talking about, right? And Larchmont, for the most part. Still kind of looks the same. Yeah, that's as it did yeah, back then. Like, definitely. there's not a lot of tall buildings over mm-hmm. there. Like, everything's sort of um, just sort of at street level. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done a drive by of the house of, of um, the Baby Jane house? Of the Baby Jane house? Oh, yeah, of course. We need to. We've <laughs> yes. never done it. I thought we had. I don't think I've never done it before. Oh, then maybe I haven't. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was just looking at Google Maps. <laughs> 
It looks. Ex- I mean, it, it's exactly in the same. Oh yeah. Touched. Yeah. The that's... gates are still guarding the front door and the full. That's crazy. The yeah, those I love that like Spanish style where there's like the wrought iron gate in front mm-hmm. um, that Edwin Flagg could not get inside of. <laughs> he was so <laughs> drunk. Ben Davis at the same time. <laughs> um, so yeah, this we we get you know. Victor Bono, these these amazing scenes with his mother. We get um, he tells the mother to act on the phone like his secretary. secretary. And she's just like, oh yes, he'll be, you know, he'll be right with you. Like she mm-hmm. takes she takes all the information from Betty Davis. I love just that like neither of these two characters know what the hell they're doing. They're both stumbling through all of this. Yeah. She's just like Sure, like, yeah, come to my house. Like, we'll, and we'll she, figure this out. And she agrees to pay him $100, $100 a, week. a week. Yeah. A lot of money. A lot of money at that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money now. But, yeah, he's just like, oh, you know, he's faking it that he's like, well, I don't know if he's faking it because his mother sounds British. But he kind of, his accent is more pronounced when he's talking to her. When he's talking to the mother, he's just a little bit more like... It's it's wild. <laughs> like his whole character is crazy. But clearly neither of them knows what they're doing, but they're playing it off like they do. Mm-hmm. And so they just keep kind of like one upping each other with like questions and demands until ultimately she pledges to pay him four hundred dollars. And he's just she's just like, Does that sound okay? And he's just like, Yeah. And he's like the look in his face is like, Holy shit. And at this point she's just like, Yes, sweet. All right, I got it. Like we're going to do this. Like, let's go out to dinner. Let's have a nice dinner. And mm-hmm. which is interesting that he turns down the nice dinner. He's just like, Oh, I got to go. Home. He had to go back home to mother. Yeah. But you don't want to keep, you don't want to like be rude to your new client. That's paying you all this money. I loved though too, when she's, she has, she's, you know, like you said earlier, she's polishing the, the, this crazy tea pot thing and she serves him tea. And then she has a little plate of like little finger sandwiches and she holds up the plate and he grabs the plate and walks off with it. And she just looks at him like, the fuck yeah. did you just take my whole plate? But she doesn't care because she believes she's on a business date with him. Yes. And is very concerned that when he mentions Delia, his mother, that he might have a wife or a lady friend tucked mm-hmm. away somewhere. Yes. <laughs> and that her chances with this... Obvious alcoholic are are perhaps doused. Yes, yes. And as this is all happening, Blanche is just sort of eavesdropping on all of this. <laughs> that she's just like, oh my god! Like, even for my sister, this is getting like, what the this hell is, is getting too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, this actor that that we're talking about, Victor Bono, that I keep mentioning, uh, I remember him from uh, as. King Tut from the old Batman. Yeah, the old Batman TV show series. Uh, he's in that. He's done a couple of other things. He was in he's Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. He was, mm-hmm. yeah. Which was a follow-up to whatever happened to Baby Jane. We'll talk about Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte a little bit later on. Yeah. Because that, that story of that production is crazy. But yeah, so she kind of like decides, you know, she makes this deal with, with, uh, with this guy that he's going to like, you know, help her rehearse these songs. When she goes upstairs... Because Blanche starts buzzing. Mm-hmm. Right? She goes upstairs. And when she comes back down, he's already kind of tinkering on the piano. Because the sheet music is there. And yeah. she just starts singing. 
Ah, this scene is so. This scene is so creepy. I love how Betty plays this scene. (laughs) She starts singing letters to Daddy, right? Mm -hmm. Uncomfortable. So unsettling. (laughs) I actually, I've seen this movie several times, and my brain won't access this part of the movie. Like it just shuts. It's too disturbing. Shuts down. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. (sighs) I love though when she, when the two of them. I think it's when he's ready to leave, and she's. She stands up on the first step of the staircase so she can be like the same height as him because he's he's a tall man and she's like a little, you know, a a smaller woman. So she has to stand on the first step and now they're looking at each other eye to eye and she's just telling him how excited she is and how this is just going to be like she just knows that this is going to be like the best like collaboration. And he's just like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. So, all right. So. Where do we go after? Oh, he wants to know how quickly he can get the money. And right. when they're on the stairs and Jane is calculating in her head the amount of time it is going to take for her to starve her sister to death. <laughs> yeah. So that she can be rid of all of that and run away with, with this man. Right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and the other thing from FX Feud is that we find out that this actor is like who's uh, gay is a homosexual yep. mm-hmm. and and I do kind of love the the portrayal of his kind of friendship with Betty Davis that they kind mm-hmm. of showcase in the series but you know something about uh again the the period maybe a generational thing also partly the mid-atlantic accent situation but He's not exactly playing it, you know, he's not playing it super gay, but he's not playing it super butch either. (laughs) So it's kind of like, is she not seeing certain signs? And and I don't know that the character is supposed to be homosexual, but, you know, he's a grown unemployed man living with his mother. He's a confirmed bachelor. He's a Exactly. He just just hasn't met the right woman, Pete. (laughs) And Jane Hudson Mm -hmm. (laughs) just might be her. So he goes home, mm-hmm. and his mother is hor- later in the film. They're getting ready to go to dinner, and his mother is horrified that to find out who is employing him because there's oh, yes. talk around town mm-hmm. that maybe Jane Hudson has injured her sister critically, right. ending everyone's career. Yes, that's right. I kind of love that. That now it's kind of like this Hollywood like secret that that this has happened. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, it's not really a secret because there's all this gossip that people are just like, well, you know what I heard is that she that she ran away her. with yeah. a man that she didn't even know for three days. <laughs> oh my goodness, three days. <laughs> um, okay, Elvira, Elvira. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to get to Elvira getting to the house. So, at what point? At what point does Jane kind of? tie up and lock Blanche in the bedroom because eventually we get to, we get to this so, like so we've got the scene where Jane and uh, not Jane uh Blanche Jane is out of the house and Blanche goes into her room mm-hmm. and eats finds a box of chocolates and her as Blanche is being starved by Jane and psychologically tortured she finds a box of candy in the dresser and just starts shoving it into her mouth. Yes. Which is like yeah. a wonderful secret eating scene. Yes, the huge these huge chocolates. And that's just such to me again it's just such like a grandma thing to just open just a drawer and, and have, a full box of chocolates yeah. in a drawer. Mixed in with your clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your unmentionables yes. and your chocolates. I mean, if it was my grandmother, it would have been cherry cordials. 
She really liked those cherry ah. like char. Oh, they're so weird. Like I don't know what that. If it was my grandma, is. it would be taffy. Taffy. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> would your grandmother have any a candy of choice? My grandmother in her top drawer. Yeah. No, not a candy of choice, but she would order a pizza, spray it with Glade, and then leave it out on the countertop for a week, eating from it. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, all right. That's so fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take the cherry cordials. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my taffy. Taffy. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Salt water. I don't know what the difference is. Is there only one kind? The little individually wrapped ones. Yep. Hmm. Well, yeah. So. Blanche makes her way in there. I do love the scene where she's just shoving this candy. I mean, she's starving. She hasn't eaten, you know. She's, you know, she's been withheld, you know, food all this time. And um, I feel like she has to make her way down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These scenes of Joan crawling down the stairs to try to get to the phone. I also don't buy this scene because so for like 30 years, she's been like working out on this like pulley bar that she would get herself out of bed with. She'd be ripped by this point. She'd have some upper body strength. Yeah. She could drag herself down those stairs. Mm -hmm. Like this is a, you know. And it's got to be pretty easy, a little easier to get yourself down the stairs too. I mean, gravity's helping. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's just getting, it's just getting your way back up Mm -hmm. is going to be the hard part. Yes. Yeah, so when she's down, uh, when she's downstairs on the phone, she gets the doctor on the phone. She calls the doctor, and I love that the, I love the nurse, like the whole thing with. I mean, I guess who else is she going to call, really? Right? I guess she would have to call the doctor and just have him come to the house and just be like, I don't know, do something. She didn't call the police. Yeah. At that point, the, I, I feel like at that time, like, what are the police going to do? Like, oh, it's just. Mm-hmm. Two spinster sisters. Like, These two bickering sisters. Yeah, wouldn't take it seriously. But the doctor could probably, like, presumably commit Jane. Yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. At least get, you know, at least get Blanche out of the house or something like that. But, yeah, so she calls the doctor, interrupts him. You know, he's, he's busy right now, but she's like, oh, it's, it's urgent. And um, Jane walks in and finds her. And does she, call, does she call the doctor back immediately or is he still on the phone? She calls, she him, calls back. him back. She calls yep. him back. And she does the and she does the impression. She does the voice, again. and I love that the doctor is just like, okay, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> Guess we can't interfere if she yeah. wants to see another doctor. Yeah. So never mind then. You're fine. <laughs> you were frantic thirty seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, this doctor. I don't know, but uh, what is he going to think that it's her that it's her crazy sister doing an impression? It's mm-hmm. so outrageous. But. Um, so when we did our rewatch last night, mm-hmm. there's something about the pacing of this movie that I always forget how long this movie is, that I'm always just like, well, when are they going to get to the beach? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, we still have 40 minutes left of all of this drama in the house of like when Elvira comes back, she kills yeah. Elvira. And that's when you really know that like, oh, like shit is going down. Like she is starting to murder people. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, once Blanche gets downstairs and Jane, like, kicks her head into the wall and, like, knocking her around all over the place. And, like, one arm drags her up the yeah. stairs. Yeah. The carcass of Joan Crawford sliding yes. across the floor. Although, I do have to say, when Joan Crawford is sitting in the bed, 
there are scenes of her just sitting in the bed with her two legs stretched out in front of her. And there's that kind of cushion pillow with the two arms, you know, that you can get for the bed to sit mm-hmm. up in. She's sitting in one of those with her, with her little legs stretched out. And it's just like, she just looks so tiny. She just looks yeah. super teeny weeny. Like, oh, okay. She's like a little tiny little old lady <laughs> practically. Um, and and then I start to think, you know, people people would often talk about like her shoulder pad, like obsession, right? And I'm like, just wanting to present yourself like you're. I I, sh- I, I shouldn't say larger because it's like obviously Joan wouldn't want to. No, she wouldn't want to make herself. She larger, wouldn't want to look but, herself larger, but just I guess have like a like a presence about her. Mm-hmm. But I think that mm-hmm. it, I think it was the director of Mildred Pierce that's like. That would like reprimand her for wearing shoulder pads on set or something because the character of Mildred Pierce was not that kind of lady. Mm-hmm. But then he was just like, oh, but then like I reached to like snatch them out from under her blouse and, and I realized that those are her actual shoulders. It's like, really though? Mm-hmm. I think that's just one of those like crazy Hollywood like s- stories that's like been embellished. Over the past like seventy years, maybe this is why she was doing all the jogging that her housekeeper had to like drive alongside her for. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Had to slim those shoulders down. Yeah, in my preferred workout outfit of the gray sweatpants. God, I love that. Black like, Chuck so Taylor. Like, um, Black Chuck Taylors. The gray, gray sweats. The gray like, sweatsuit. Uh, <laughs> like Angela Lansbury in the opening yeah. credits to Murder She Wrote. Yes. Yes. White towel. Mm-hmm. Laverne and Shirley. Like. <laughs> Sweatband in her hair, yeah, like the full. Oh, so good. Any any good, you know, any good like woman working out pre like nineteen oh, eighties wore this uniform of the gray sweatsuit and the Chuck Taylors, and that is what that is what I wear to the gym today. No, it is not actually, but I should. Yeah, it's a good look. Mm-hmm. You sweat off the pounds. Yep. Right. Um, I do love that scene of her jogging in Mommy Dearest. So, so classy. <laughs> And I love that she's just like punching the air. She's like jogging. She's just so pissed off. What do you guys think of Joan's performance in this movie? I think that she's sort of the unsung hero of this movie because I don't think this movie works without this grounded performance. That you can have Betty's crazy performance, but uh, Blanche is just kind of the straight man. But there's moments in it that Joan really like like Joan really tugs at my heart. <laughs> <laughs> of when she's talking to her sister. I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. I feel like the makeup artist is 90% of Joan's performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there, it's a lot of like, it's, it's, it's just a lot of, a lot of, of, of contouring. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she, I mean, especially considering what their relationship was like for her to just quietly let Betty Davis do whatever the hell she wanted must have taken a tremendous amount of restraint and just mm-hmm. eaten her alive inside. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things that if she just would have been okay with being in supporting actress, she probably would have won over. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's in. Oh, um, it's the miracle uh, worker. It's the miracle worker. Yeah. It's um, Sean Astin's mother, Patty Duke. Uh, Patty Duke. Maybe. Yeah. But Joan was just that proud that she had to be in lead. <laughs> And Blanche doesn't really have like a big, like a big acting moment. Like she doesn't have like a big like monologue. Well, she has she? she has that scene in the bedroom that we played. Yeah, uh, and also the reveal, the big reveal at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah, that's true. 
So I mean, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of physical stuff with, with and the that's two the, of them. And that's the thing is that when I revisit this movie, I kind of forget about all these scenes, or just sort of how casually paced it is until the last act of the movie. That you're getting like Betty Davis run around town in like her car, <laughs> the whole thing with yeah. uh, Victor, mm-hmm. Joan like crawling down the stairs. Elvira getting murdered. I kind of always forget about those scenes when revisiting it. Yeah. When Elvira's like, she's like got like a screwdriver and the hammer and she's just like, if she's got you tied up in there. <laughs> I love her. I love her delivery there. Yeah. But I feel like once we get to this part, it does kind of like start to mm-hmm. like kick in a high gear a little bit as far as like the action or whatever. Yeah. I forgot that Victor Bono comes back to the house again mm-hmm. pre-beach and sees um, Blanche in her room. And just leaves her there. Nothing <laughs> and does absolutely nothing. Which is like, I feel like the realist, if, if we're looking at it as a movie about Los Angeles, yeah. that is the realist moment. Oh, oh sure. Someone in this I'm, town not, would I'm do. not getting roped in with this big yeah. bag of crazy. No. Not my monkey, not my circus. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And, like, maybe if the neighbor would have gotten, you know, the crumpled up piece of paper, maybe she would have gotten involved somehow. But, yeah, you know, although when he does go to the house and he's uh, and he sees her there, he was kind of picked up by the police. At one he was time. just wandering on the neighborhood drunk, right? Or yes. He, yeah. I think or he's, he's running. He's, like, hysterically, like, looking for someone. When he runs out of the house... And, and and Betty Davis is like, he's going to tell. Yeah. <laughs> I presume that is what actually – this movie does like a really weird thing with – like as you're saying, like a really weird thing with time where like who knows what's happening at any point. Yeah. Like how – is this movie set within like a week and a half, two weeks, a month? You really don't know. Right. And I guess that just speaks to these two being confined with each other in this house that you just – don't really have a good grasp of time. Okay. Okay, it says, A few days later, police call to tell Jane that Elvira's cousin has reported her missing. hmm Right, because... And I do love when, when Elvira goes into the room, Jane sneaks up on her from behind with a hammer. What does she do with Elvira's body? She puts her in the trunk of the car. Yeah, she like she wraps her like a mummy in a blanket yeah. and then puts her in the wheelchair. Like full Norman Bates style. Yeah. And when she was when she was wheeling her out of the house, we were noticing. I was like, that that blanket is just there's just it's wrapped up with like it's wrapped pillows underneath it. It's just filled with feathers. <laughs> so light she's just like <laughs> bouncing it down the steps into the driveway. And yeah, the um the neighbor sees her mm-hmm. in, you know, in the carport because the garage like door is up or something. So the neighbor goes over to her and she's like, oh, I saw the lights on your car and I thought that you left your lights on. And so, you know, I wanted to come and check. But she was just like mid like stuffing Elvira's body <laughs> like into the car. But I mean, are we to believe that her body's just in the trunk the whole time? Probably. No, because the police she... report said that she was found in the valley. Oh, that's sure. right. So she just yeah. drove her just out and dumped her in a dump, van. Rolled her down a hill. Yeah. <laughs> so dumped her on receipt. I'm just trying to put myself, if I was in the position yeah. of being one of their neighbors mm-hmm. and I'm witnessing all of this happen, what do I do? Yeah. 
I mean, like a true Angelino, you do nothing. You do nothing. You, do nothing. <laughs> you keep looking out your window <laughs> and mm-hmm. telling your friends about it, but you that's just wait quietly it. for it to go away. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the crazy thing about it. it's like. Or we, if we I was if I was such a big fan of this actress that I knew was living next door, would I just do all of my power to try to go in and meet her? That like I'm like busting down the store that I have to go talk to Blanche upstairs. <laughs> and well, she doesn't even know that Blanche is confined to the upstairs. Mm-hmm. Like we, yep. there's rumors about the accident, but we don't know if they're true. We just know that the Hudson sisters live live there. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, but if Jane has been such an asshole to her openly, she's so hostile. I mean, I, w- I don't know if I would really try that hard. I'd be like, screw that. That sister is a weirdo. I guess. Mm-hmm. I have the impression that she kind of has an idea that something is going on. Yeah. That should oh, be. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I do love when she talks to the daughter and she's just very much like. Oh, I can't stand that Jane Hudson. She's like, you look like she's, you look like you just got into a fight. She says, I'm not sure that I haven't. <laughs> I think I got into a fight with her, but I don't know. Um, yeah, just the the neighbor the neighbor's fascinating. But yeah, when um, Edwin, yes, Edwin, you know, when the cops catch him out there, and she's like, oh no, I know him. Like it's fine, whatever. Bring she brings him in the house. Busts his way upstairs because he hears something or something. And he goes in the room. And he fully – he sees her tied to the, to the like, hook thing. And he's, and he's like, she's dying. He says, she's dying. Bolts out of the house. Yeah. And at, this, and at this point, I feel like it wouldn't have been crazy if he ran into the street in a car just – Hits him. Oh, yeah. Just hit by a truck, hit by a bus, you know, as he runs out into the middle of the street. Because that's just how crazy, like, this stuff is going down, right? Um, But, yeah, it's pretty much from here that she's just like, all right, we're getting out of here. We're going to the beach. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to Malibu. We're going to Malibu. Yeah. And this last, this last scene on the beach is crazy. We always try to, we always try to see if we can, if we can, uh, if we can clock the, um, the reshoots, because I mean, yeah, they did studio reshoots. I think it's I think it's when Jane is doing her little dancing. I think those are all in a studio, mm-hmm. and maybe in some close ups of Joan. I think they're the I think there's the close ups of Joan of, as Blanche laying on her back, like right mm-hmm. in the sand. <laughs> I'm so concerned before the sun comes up about how cold Joan Crawford must have been in that scene. That's like oh, all yeah. I can think about. She's in this like gauzy nightgown that she wasn't in when they left the house. So presumably True. she dressed her <laughs> up for their for their road trip to Malibu. True, yeah. In, in her finest, you know, night thing. Black, isn't it? Yeah. It's, oh, man. I love all these beach scenes because it sort of turns into like a 60s beach movie. You you hear like a swinging beach music, yes. like Frankie in Annette style. Yes, all these young people at the beach. Well, the music uh, for this movie was written by Frank Devol, who famously wrote the Brady Bunch theme. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That tracks. <laughs> yeah, and so there's that cool. It's that thing that they do in like TV shows when like kids are listening to hit music, mm-hmm. but it's not any real music it's just like 
Well, it's like on <laughs> Scooby-Doo whenever yeah. you would open on the Scooby-Gang yeah. and they would be dancing in like a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to just nondescript like kind of rock music. Do you ever remember going to the beach as a kid and there would be concession booths? I think that's so interesting that I don't know if it was ever a thing of just having like a hot dog stand or going to get ice cream at the beach. I th- it's a thing. Yeah, it's, it's a still thing, right? a thing. Corona Del Mar has a stand that advertises delicious hot dog sandwiches. Ooh, a hot dog okay. sandwich. Just a regular hot dog? Because I... Regular they just call dog. it a sandwich. Because I've seen <laughs> that... It's cut in half and it's on like Wonder Bread. Oh, yeah, it's what? Yeah. No. Because I've seen that at the boardwalk <laughs> in Santa Monica, but never up north like, by Malibu, though. Maybe in the 60s. Yeah. It was a different time. Yeah, mm-hmm. different, di- yeah, different time, man. Th- that's, I mean, famously, uh, hot dog on a stick. That's how they got started. Oh yeah, really? Beach in Santa Monica, right? Venice. Oh. Or yeah, probably Santa Monica. Yeah. I just know that scene from Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, where they built a hot dog on a stick, mm-hmm. like on yep. probably this very beach. Yeah. That the, that the scene is shot on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's how that's how hot dog okay. on a stick got started. Hmm. Um. I'm fascinated by this hot dog sandwich. I don't want one. But Were you never <laughs> given this it. as a hot dog as a child? <laughs> no, but I had, did have uh, one wrapped in a tortilla several times. That's just delicious. I mean, pretty mm-hmm. good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, they're not bad. Uh, it, it, it could be counted as a struggle meal, but I mean, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not against it in a, you know, in a pinch. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not against just eating a hot dog on a fork. Off the fire. But then you have to, like, put your hold your fork over the stove. Okay, maybe we won't do that. But, yeah, wrapped in a tortilla. Good stuff. Um, this concession stand is kind of awesome. These mm-hmm. two cops just, like, it's like beat cops. Yeah, they're just, like, working, working PCH. <laughs> Stopped at the local snack sh- shack by the beach for yeah. something. And they don't notice. Jane just, like twirling and also jane parked her car like in the middle of the road well yeah she double parks it she yep. just stops it which we don't find out until we get to the cops because mm-hmm. we we get introduced to the two of them on the beach and jane is is already at this point just twirling right no at this point she's like playing with strange children she's like demanding yeah. that they like bounce her throw the beach ball uh, so <laughs> this scene kind of has me triggered because working in retail and a grocery store i hate having crazy older people talk to people's children without asking yeah like just approaching (laughs) children and just talking to them yeah and then try to do shit like that with kids i hate that and it always it's always so awkward i feel bad for the kid i feel bad for the parent like i've witnessed stuff like this and yeah (laughs) it's super awkward even the kids in this scene when she's just like reaching like gesturing for Mm -hmm. them to throw the beach ball at her and there's nothing one kid's just kind of like i guess like and there's nothing more unsettling than somebody old acting young <laughs> or like yeah. trying to act like a child. Yeah. That's so creepy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, whatever the actual ages of these actresses, baby Jane Hudson is in this like crazy, you know, kabuki like makeup, mm-hmm. you know, so she just looks extra, you know, extra nuts on top of all of it. But yeah, the... um. This one guy comes over to the cops and he's just like, 
this car's double parked. You know, I tried to go around it. I almost got stuck in the sand. You know, go look at this car. And they're like, yeah, dude, whatever. Like, we'll look at the car when we look at the car. And then he says the, the type of car it is. And they're just like, oh, shit. Like, we're looking for that car. Mm-hmm. Right? And they go over. And you see the car. And it's fully just stopped in the middle, in the, middle of the street. Um, do they immediately go rushing over to, to the two of them? At what point does Blanche spill the beans? Well, I think... Is it on the beach? It's on the beach with them. I think it's before she goes and gets the ice cream. Sure. And Blanche has attempted to confess this earlier in the movie. And she stopped herself, too. So we've sort of gotten hints that everything about those events of that night when she hit the gate mm-hmm. maybe didn't quite go as you think it did. And this is when we get the whole story that they were at this party. Um, Jane was a sort of embarrassing Blanche, kind of putting her on blast. And Blanche was just really angry at her. And she was the one driving. Blanche gets out of the car Blanche floors it. No, Jane gets out of the car. Or Jane gets out of the car to go open the gate. Mm-hmm. Blanche floors it and hits the gate. Hits the gate. And this car that she's in is such a tank that it like snaps her spine. Snaps mm-hmm. her spine in the driver's seat. And Jane was so drunk she didn't know the difference. And didn't she like run away and ended up like shacking up with a guy? That she doesn't even know for three days. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Scandal. <laughs> so this is the big gag of the movie. This is like the big, huge reveal. This is a twist. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what? Um, but it's interesting because there are scenes when Jane is kind of like, I mean, not lucid. Like, I guess the opposite of lucid. When she goes into these like very childlike states. And that's when you kind of start to... Maybe sympathize with her a little bit. Yeah. But then you're like, but no, she like killed the bird and served her rats. And And murdered Elvira. And murdered Elvira with a hammer. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't even know how like a, uh, how you would even diagnose Jane in this movie. Like what, what exactly, like, is she borderline? I mean, it's schizophrenic. Yeah. Schizophrenia. schizophrenia, Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the booze on top of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. The whole like, the whole like impression, like the vo- like the voices, like that stuff is so crazy too. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, so she kind of tells she kind of tells her, you know, like all this time that it was actually that it was actually Blanche's fault, and Blanche sort of has a hand of has a hand in how unhinged Jane has become. Mm-hmm. That. Also, Blanche is partly responsible for all of this. We're entirely responsible for all <laughs> exactly. of this. <laughs> you mean all this time we could have been friends? Oh. But then she resolves it with ice cream, as we all do. I mean, mm-hmm. what does what can ice cream solve? Easily forgiven. <laughs> but then <laughs> two big strawberry ice cream cones. Yeah, but then Blanche is floundering in the sand, just like I think I'm dying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the moment we're laughing the hardest at, which yeah. is really telling. She's like, I need you to get someone right now. Now, wasn't there a big thing on feud with her breasts in this scene? 
Because she's laying on her back. Mm-hmm. And she want she wanted them to be like perky, pointing upwards. Oh, she nice. wanted and she they wanted are. in she the movie perky bosoms. In the movie, there it looks like she's standing up. They're pointing straight up, but it's like that could have just been a good foundation garment. She just threw some shoulder pads yeah. in there, and <laughs> she had God knows she had plenty. <laughs> so the twirling on the beach, man. <laughs> she has an audience. This is like, yeah, she sort of goes back to childhood performing and she has this audience of onlookers who are just gawking at this crazy woman. Who has already been apprehended by the police. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who are just letting her twirl in the sand (laughs) as as we do with all criminals. True. I mean, they kind of just like ignore the twirling for a while when they finally do see Blanche because she Blanche is a couple of feet past everything all the action they know she's not going anywhere yeah so they're just like oh shit there is a dying woman uh in in the sand uh jane steals the ice cream she does (laughs) it's unclear whether she knows she's stealing it or she thinks it's a gift or ice cream is free yeah you know does yeah that is true she's she's just like in a in a fugue state at this Mm -hmm. point so, yeah, it says, the ending is ambiguous, leading the viewer to ponder what happened to Blanche. Yeah, I guess that's true. We don't know if Blanche dies. When I was watching, I was watching this film with a friend last night, and mm-hmm. we were sort of pondering how, how this got released in, in a time when we still had the Hayes Code. Because there's yeah. so much dark stuff here, mm-hmm. and there's so much exposure of, of like, the, the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. But then there's just, yeah, this, like, horrifying, like, we're, you're watching this woman dying in the sand, and that just wasn't something you saw at the time. So it yeah. was, like, I wonder if that was the original intended ending, that we don't know what's happened to her, or if it was just, you know, we can't say that she's dead because this mm-hmm. will get yanked. Right, yeah. Well, also, wasn't part of the Hayes Code that, like, the villains had to get their comeuppance in the movie? Yes. So So you would need a whole, like seen in a newspaper that's like Blanche goes to prison or, or no yeah, uh, Jane 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 goes to prison I mean they I guess both go to prison right because that's what I was going to say like the cops are there so we as the audience are like all right well Jane's finally going to get what's coming to her for you know torturing Blanche all this time but we've just had this big reveal so do we as the audience now turn on Blanche and say like oh okay well it was her fault all along. So mm-hmm. is she the villain? So it's just like the ending's so crazy and just kind of like this like mind like fuck or whatever that you just does Blanche deserve a separate comeuppance, you know, as the villain, you know, to die. I feel like like Blanche, we are so worn down by yeah. the end of this <laughs> yes. film yeah. that like yeah. you're not operating on the logic on, yeah. on the basis of logic at this point. So that's probably how they got yeah, away with like, that, I guess. Okay. But yeah, very interesting. I mean, this movie, like we said, like you said, Scott, was a huge hit, mm-hmm. right, for the studio. Did it bring the two of them more roles afterwards? Well, it's kind of it was the beginning of the end for Joan. She was never in yeah. a major studio movie like this after. She was cast in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, quit after arriving on set in the South with Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to do the movie. It's very unclear exactly why she quit the movie, too. If it was script issues, if she mm-hmm. was just 
still bickering with Betty. Nobody really knows. Sure. She's in one fleeting shot. Mm-hmm. The car drives up to the to yeah. the mansion. She's in the car. Mm-hmm. They never reshot that. But you can tell because she had black hair and Olivia de Havilland, who replaced her, was blonde. And so you can tell that it's not Olivia de Havilland in the car. The thing with Sweet Charlotte was that the kind of the roles were going to be a little bit reversed in that Betty Davis was now going to play the... I don't even know how, how you the, the victim. The well, victim. There you Miriam go. Miriam yeah. is kind of the the Miriam character is like the villain of the movie, and that's who Joan would have played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were going to kind of flip it flip it around mm-hmm. so that Joan could play the villain this time. Um, but yeah, it didn't work. That was unfortunate. And um, Joan's last couple of movies. I mean, we've never seen Trog. What? We've attempted to watch a little bit of Trog, I think. Did we? I don't even know. And it's pretty rough. Is it watchable? It's Is delightful. it worth watching? Okay. It's, I mean, you know, a couple more White Claws. Sure. Uh, and, and Trog. Those scenes in Feud are so sad when she's making Trog, too. It, it's... And, and she makes oh god what's the film where she's like an axe murderer oh straight jacket straight jacket yeah. we've seen straight jacket straight yeah. jacket's actually kind of great mm-hmm. in its own way yeah what was the one that was probably right after straight i saw jacket what you did we just watched I we just watched did. i saw yeah. what you did millie did it on her podcast yeah um have you ever seen i saw what you did no oh my god it's insane she's barely in it she's barely in it she's like top build in the movie but for all intents and purposes she's the main star of the movie it's about these two teenage girls that are making prank phone calls and they call a guy that murders his wife but what they what they do is they call random people in the phone book and they just say i know who you are and i saw what you did Mm-hmm. And then, like, just laugh at whatever the person says. But what they didn't know is this next person that they're going to call right before they call, he kills his wife. Yeah. <laughs> and so they say it, and the guy's like, oh, shit. So now he's, like, after them, but they're, like, these teenage girls. And Joan Crawford plays his neighbor. Who's in love with him. Who's in love with him. And... Wants him to leave the wife or something. And yeah, it's this whole deal. It's just very melodramatic and crazy. But just the idea of these like two teenage girls like in the 60s, just like opening up a phone book. Making prank phone calls. Calling yeah. random people, mm-hmm. making prank phone calls. Also directed by William Castle, who did uh, oh, yeah, Straight Jacket. It, it was William Castle. You're right. I love that this is like a world, like a really dark world of Henry Orient story. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and... I mean, she was she's really good. I mean, the few scenes she has in it, she's beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah. just she kind of career building up she the dog. Classes up this straight up B movie of yeah, I saw what you did and she B kind movie. of gives the movie a little class. That's what's kind of fun about it. Yeah, definitely. Um So yeah, I saw what you did. Let's see. Berserk. But just the one Lucy of show. But just one of those actresses that just she had to work, and she was going to work regardless of the material. Yeah, yeah. Well, the documentary, Mommy Dearest, we <laughs> find out that she also did some daytime television. Oh yes, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she replaced Christina on that soap. Oh my god, which is like those scenes are great, Mommy Dearest. They're some of my favorite of the movie. Well, it's really good because there's that thing where she's kind of like, 
she needs the cue cards and they're just like, what the hell is going on? And then she just takes a shot mm-hmm. of like vodka or something. And she's beating the pack of cigarettes on the kitchen counter. Yeah. There's something with that detail that's just so, <laughs> so much. But after she takes the shot and she's like, all right, let's do this. She's like, pitch. She Perfect. nails it. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's why she's been in this business for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, she also did do an episode of The Lucy Show. I love that episode of the Lucy show where she's, where she's cleaning everything and Lucy and Ethel just like think that Joan has fallen on, on hard times. On hard times. She's doing yep. spring cleaning. So all the furniture has gone and, or they think that she's like cleaning someone's house. They think it's like not her house. I don't know. It's weird. I think it's that they just think that Joan is working as a maid. Yeah. 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 Blonde Joan. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely like, now it's like probably with well, Trog was 1970, I think. 70 or 71. Yeah. And the hair in Mommy Dearest, when she takes over Christina's role, it's kind of like that. That wig is amazing. (laughs) It's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Heavy is the right word. It looks like there's like a, oh man, I love it. (laughs) We'll post some pictures. So we talked on our first Oscar episode Mm -hmm. of this Academy Awards that, Mm -hmm. um, Bet lost Best Actress to Anne Bancroft, and Joan accepted Anne's Oscar for it. That's like, we talk about that story. Yes. Do you think uh, Betty should have a third? Should she have had a third? Did she deserve this Did Oscar? Did she deserve that Oscar? It's a really good performance. Like we said, she's acting with her entire body. She's yeah. like in inhabiting this role. The pelvic role she does when she's like, walking through a door while she's carrying something <laughs> it just that alone that and the eye rolls should have taken it all oh yeah you didn't get that in the miracle worker <laughs> that's for sure i think that if i was voting i would probably vote for betty i i would wa- also yeah. want to see her have a third and i like that she was just that proud of a person that one or two oscars wasn't enough she had to have a third because nobody, because nobody had done nobody it before. Had done it. Yep. Up and I mean, Catherine uh, Hepburn. Did she have three? Catherine Hepburn had three. Okay. I mean, Catherine Hepburn has like four. Oh Jesus. Mm-hmm. Also, if the, if the documentary feud is to be believed, um, and <laughs> I Betty- love that we keep calling it the documentary <laughs> feud. If Betty Davis really was having uh, a relationship with the director mm. at the time of filming. Right. And she was willing to, while courting this gentleman, put on that full face of makeup and yeah. that body and, and really go for that. I think that alone. Putting putting that relationship at stake. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, that's Oscar time. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this was sort of, I mean, I guess that Grace Kelly sort of de-glammed for the country girl and that's how she won over Judy. So it was kind of the early years of when you de-glam yourself for a role, mm-hmm. Oscar. Sure. Nicole. A brave, a Nicole brave performance. with the nose, Oscar. Mm-hmm. Charlize in the fat suit, Oscar. <laughs> that wasn't a fat suit for Arlene right. Warnos. It, she it wasn't up. a fat she suit. She put yep. on those mm-hmm. pounds. She put on those pounds. She was tipping the scale at 125. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she gained those 20 pounds. <laughs> That's an old Janine Garofalo joke. <laughs> I think she, you know, what she was talking about about Marissa Tomei and the Perez family. 
That's how old that oh, joke geez. That's how old that joke is. Talk about a movie that does not exist anymore. <laughs> that Marissa Tomei put on 20 pounds, so she was tipping the scale at 120 for the Perez family. How brave. <laughs> but she did not win an Oscar for that. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the transformation, it's still, is it still something that we're, that we're rewarding? Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. those are kind of recent examples, although both of those movies are... 20 years old? Oh, they're like 15 <laughs> at this point. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, the the whole uh, idea, too, of Joan going from actress to actress, offering to accept the Academy Award on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Those are fun scenes of feud. They're great scenes mm-hmm. of feud. How real is this, do we think? Is this like... I mean, it happened. It, I mean, it actually happened, but it's probably one of those things in real life. It was probably maybe less conniving because she just saw the opening and she took it. She knew that three of those actresses were probably not going to win. So it had to come down to Anne Bancroft or uh, Sweet Bird of Youth. Sure. Um, Geraldine Page. Geraldine Page. So she just saw that opportunity and took it. All right, all mm-hmm. right. It probably wasn't uh, her and the gossip colonists like plotting for all of this. Right. It was probably just as easy of her looking at the nominees. Yeah. And also seeing it, and Bancroft was starring, headlining a play on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So just thinking, well, she might not. And even probably go. going into that ceremony, Anne Bancroft was probably the favorite to win. Sure. Hmm. Well, I mean, this movie has a crazy legacy. Oh, yeah. And that's what's fun about it is that both these these two actresses just have this larger-than-life reputation. We're yeah. probably, probably landed in the middle if all of this is true, but that's what kind of makes it fun is that just all of the stories that surrounded these actresses having this feud, not liking each other, but working on this movie together. Right. Um, I mean – I think Mildred Pierce is a great movie. Yeah. I think this is way more watchable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has, this has like rewatch. Well, I would like, we could just put it on. I would also movie. say just both completely different movies. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But I mean, the two, these are two actresses that have a huge body of work. Each of them. A huge body of work, but this is their n- number one movie on their IMDb most known for. Yeah. That it just sort of towers over their filmography. That they did late in their career. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? That they both <laughs> got these roles when they were in their 50s. Right. Especially at that time in Hollywood. Do you have any other movies from either of them that you prefer? Or would you say that you're kind of, like, more just more drawn to this because it's just more fun? I think I'm more drawn to this because... I mean, I love, I love Mildred Pierce. Yeah. Same. I always... I, I feel like I should be much more familiar... I definitely should be much more familiar with Betty Davis's mm-hmm. career. All I can think of is Jezebel at the moment, and that right. is just a punishment. And Jezebel is <laughs> the one with the red dress, yes. right? Where she comes down on the party in the red dress. Yes. And everyone's, like, gagged and gooped <laughs> by, by this, like, debutante wearing this red dress. Yes. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with that with I that could movie. not tell you what that movie is yeah. about. I've seen it several times. And, you know, I like... All About Eve? All About Eve. I love All About Eve. I like All About Eve. Oh, of, of course. So but good. But if I'm in the mood to watch 
that kind of movie, I'll watch Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're not exactly like and the go hand in hand, but And the thing about Sunset Boulevard is it shares all of those themes, but there's something about how Sunset Boulevard how it's made. It's made like a current Hollywood movie. Like it like the pacing is faster, it's the editing snappier. is quick. Yeah, yeah. It's just a snappier movie. Yeah. No like like I th- no disrespect on All About Eve. No, no, but no. Yeah, but I think All About like Eve is a movie uh, of its time. It feels longer. It feels like mm-hmm. a little bit more of a slog to get through. And she's so good in it. There's great, you know, there's some really good scenes and fun scenes to watch. And, and Marilyn's in there for a second. And you're just like, oh, there she is. And those are fun. But, um, and I love, uh, is it Celeste Holm? That's like her. Yeah, like, she's great in that movie. Fiddle. She's really mm-hmm. good in that. But, um, yeah, I feel like something like Sunset Boulevard just goes down a little easier a little quicker mm-hmm. and yeah same for you know for for joan i feel like i don't really have a lot of like we lo- you know we love mildred pierce love the women she's really good in the women oh god i forgot that she's in the women mm-hmm. previous episode of our show but the women also in the women she is not a minor character because her character kind of like really sets everything in motion right but she's not really on screen for most of the movie yeah She's, mm-hmm. yeah, but when she, but when she is on screen, you're just like, oh, she's awesome. Like <laughs> she's really a cool character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like this this movie just because it has like it, it's just it's fun. Like it is dark, you know, and there's a lot of that darkness to it. But it, I think it just has something about it that you're, it's just super watchable. So, is it streaming anywhere? I don't think so. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon it's on Prime. Oh, okay. Oh, it is okay. Very cool. So uh, we'll we'll definitely put that in all the good use. Of the two. Um, I have not seen the whatever happened to Baby Jane TV remake with the Redgrave sisters. I still need to get to that. <laughs> Starring Lynn and Vanessa Redgrave. Oh. And what year was that done? Ninety. Yeah, ninety-one. So feels like ni- yeah, ninety-one. Okay. This is so, like the Christopher Reaver window. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Pete and I were watching the movie, we were trying to think of like, okay, so who of like, if they were to make this movie now, like, let's just pretend like whatever happened to Baby Jane didn't exist, and just like if we were to cast these two with modern movie stars, who would be in the twenty twenty-one whatever happened to Baby Jane? And we landed on Julia Roberts and Sandy Bullock. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I was So there was a moment where I was going to swap out um, J-Lo for oh, okay. uh, Julia Roberts. Yeah. But Sandra Bullock was my, my very Definitely first. Definitely in there. Yeah. They both have to be Oscar winners. Well, I think, too, for me, it's that they've had these this, like, career longevity. Career right. longevity is both America's sweethearts. Yeah. America's sweethearts turned Oscar winner. Yeah. Two. J-Lo could have worked, though, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true. I, I like feel that. like – and Sandra Bullock had that dark moment of being married to the white supremacist. <sighs> yes. Jesse James. Uh, and, yes. She thanked, <laughs> and she thanked Jesse James in her Oscar speech, and we were all, like, moved to tears, and then all of that shit hit the fan, like, the <laughs> week after. So we've got, we've got Scandal. Yeah. And we've yeah. got um, – what has Julia Roberts ever done that wasn't kosher? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like Julia Roberts' love life in the early 90s was kind of a mess. But that's kind of unfair, though. It's like you can't, like, I mean... I mean, just sort of, like, it was just all over the tabloids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying it's, it's like, it's one of those things that, like, that never... Ha- like, when even when that shit happens now, it's like, you can't be going around, talk, you know, talking about 
troubles in love. That's so like Taylor Swift. But what I was going to say is that she was like notoriously like a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. like on yeah. set. Especially like everybody like, hated her on Hook. Especially like, they made T-shirts about like how awful she was. Especially yeah. like the years following the Oscar nomination for Pretty Woman. I think yes. she had a reputation of being she was very to be difficult. Like a terror, yeah. Like Sharon Stone levels of like the crew hates her. Kind oh of my thing. god! Yeah. And it's one of those things that now it's probably leveled off, and she's fine to work. Oh yeah, with. yeah, yeah. But but at the but when she was younger, yeah, I think that was. And I don't thing. know if like Julia and Sandy were ever pitted as rivals in the press they probably were of that I these are just two in like modern era they do that more with pop stars sure than they do with actresses there's a bit of an age difference or maybe not an actual age difference but like a career difference yes. between the two where they didn't quite hit at the same time yes sure sandy was a little later cuz right. i mean it yeah. didn't really take until speed Mm-hmm. For Sandy to be like a household name. Yeah. And that was 96? 94. 94. What year was The Net? The Net was 96, I think. It was after Speed. It was after Ooh. Speed. Yeah. It was, okay. I mean, and she Pretty did, Woman was. She did While You Were Sleeping in like 95. Pretty was Woman 90. was ni- 1990. So Steel Magnolias was 88, 89. 89. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that would, that could work. But, you know, we were talking about how, uh, in the old Hollywood system, they would crank out these movies, like so many of yeah. these movies, to the point where they showed these clips at the beginning of whatever happened to Baby Jane of the two actresses as younger women. And we're just like, as the audience, you're not supposed to go, oh, that's Betty Davis and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, oh, I don't know what the hell that movie is because they made so many of them. And it's one of those things that these they just made these movies. two movies that they showed in Baby Jane were kind of deep pulls from their catalog that yeah. your average moviegoer weren't familiar with. That's probably why they worked so well. Yeah. But you couldn't do that with modern actresses. Like, what are they going to – I mean, like, maybe Sandra Bullock does have a couple before – speed that we're kind of like she doesn't really want to talk about did she do some horror movies i mean she was in yeah i mean i i want to say that around the time while you were sleeping came out there were some weird direct-to-video releases of just you know what she did movies you know what she did don't say love potion number nine because no. i love love because that's actually because i a love that movie, movie. <laughs> but she did the working girl sitcom sure <laughs> yep <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Oh, yikes. <laughs> she did the Working Girl sitcom. Yeah. And she's probably done Big quite a few failed pilots, too. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. Could you could you make a movie? I don't, like, campy? Not campy, but, I mean, I don't know. How do you even describe the type of, like, horror that this is for, like, a modern movie? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's not like... It's not like... Uh, Asylum, like Sharknado levels of... I mean, I guess would the equivalent of it where Julie, Julia and Sandy are in like a Blumhouse movie together? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if the, are they at the point in their career that there's kind of a, been a lull and we're going to get them back? See, that's the thing. So would it really be Suzanne Summers and Goldie Hawn? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Maybe. <laughs> oh, God. Like a... Like a- a, a, a more later death becomes her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Oh man. But I mean, we obviously we recommend. Oh yeah. You watch this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you've seen it before. Watch it again. I mean, it's 
It's a, a gem. It's a favorite of the gay community, too. We love this shit. Well, yeah. We love these two actresses, and they're fun to see playing these crazy roles. Yeah. For sure. Um, we sometimes like to wrap it up on any any final thoughts that we have. I mean, this this movie's just been... It's been parodied. It's been through the ringer. I was just thinking pop of all of the references to this movie that have been done through the year. RuPaul's Drag Race on All Stars did mm-hmm. whatever happened to baby JJ with yes. Alaska and Alyssa. Mm-hmm. That's really funny. It's the episode that Alyssa went home on. Um, there was that commercial done by the photographer David LaChapelle yes. with MTV. Uh, Courtney Love and Madonna. Oh, yeah. And then French and Saunders did a Baby Jane yes, sketch. They did. Yep. There is also a Simpsons reference uh, in which comic book guy and Principal Skinner's <laughs> mother are courting each other, and she shows up and they're and they're like roasting each other as part of their courtship. And he sees her and says, "Oh goody, now I know whatever happened to Baby Jane." <laughs> I think that comic book guy and Agnes Skinner are just like a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, people, you've got some homework to do. If you want to see all the all the homages and uh, parodies and, and spinoffs of, of this property. But, mm-hmm. I mean, so many people have definitely already seen the documentary FX's Feud. <laughs> but that's all. That's on Netflix, right? Uh, no. Oh, well. We just own that. Feud? Mm-hmm. We own that? Jeez. Yeah, it's on our Apple TV. What don't we own? Well, I mean, what else is there to say about <laughs> about whatever happened to Baby Jane? Does anybody else have any any last parting words on on this amazing movie? <laughs> I think that about does it. I think that about does it. Oh, my I'm goodness. ready to go spray a pizza down with some Glade. I mean... Oh, my God. Why not? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's about that time. I'll go pick up a box of cherry cordials from my local... Disneyland candy shop. Where would you even purchase something like that? I don't know. There might be one or two in a box of Whitman's, like a Whitman sampler. Oh, I like it. Like in CVS and like the the deep part Mm -hmm. of the candy aisle. Yes, indeed. Oh my goodness. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on our show. This was so much fun. It was a pleasure. I love you guys. Kelly, I find your Instagram delightful. (laughs) (laughs) I love what you post. You are very funny. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Indeed, Kelly. Uh, this was, this was amazing. We'd love to have you on again in the future. You're welcome uh, to come on anytime you like. Mm-hmm. But um, until that time, uh, it's time to bid you adieu. Till next time, Kelly. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. Yes, indeed. This is another fun one. I love this movie. Pete, it's Pride Month. It is. We didn't get a we didn't give a shout out to our last episode, which was our first episode of June. Yes, but, indeed. Um, happy Pride Month. And exactly. Happy I'm always Pride bad Pride about everybody. scheduling themed movies for Pride Month. I guess that twelve months out of the year is Pride Month for us. I know. We're a gay podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk about queer things all yeah. the time. But uh, yes, indeed. Happy Pride, everybody. 
Thanks for listening. And um, we've got some Patreon shout-outs. Yay, Patreon shout-outs. Indeed. We've got some fun shout-outs. We'd like to say hello to our friends and our patrons, Jacob, Michael, Charlie, Heather, Muffy, Paul, Jamie, Drew, Jimmy, Genevieve, Don, Josh, Emily, Aaron, Melinda, Jim, Jessica, Nick, Christine, and Rafino. You guys, thank you for being a friend. If you would like to check out our Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. Check out the membership tiers. Yes, indeed. You can listen to some extra special exclusive content like alternate commentary tracks. Mm -hmm. We watch a specific movie. We record a commentary watching it and you can watch the movie with us. Sync it up to the commentary track and listen to our thoughts. By the time this episode comes out, there should be a new one there. Yes, indeed. You can check out our thoughts on movies like 10 Things I Hate About You. Scream 2, Legally Blonde, Empire Records, Halloween H2O. We've done a lot of them. Clueless. Clueless, yeah. Beetlejuice. There's a ton on there. New ones coming out every month. Also, a fun newsletter with some great behind-the-scenes, you know, pictures, some really fun articles written by the both of us, Scott's, you know, uh, movie reviews and trips to the video store, some really fun gossip columns. Lots of cool stuff on the Patreon, so check it out when you get a chance. We are also now available to listen through Audible. Yeah, isn't How that wild? That? Yeah. I'm an Audible member, not a sponsor of the podcast yet, <laughs> but it was kind of cool to look up our podcast on Audible on the app and find us. Yes, indeed. We just uh, we just got on there as well as Amazon Music Podcasts. So sure. So if you listen through Amazon Music, you can... Uh, you can find us through their podcast and that's free there's no subscription required for that so you can also uh we would love it if you would rate and review our show on apple podcast give us five stars please yes indeed smash the five star button and also write us a good review we'll read it on the show yeah we've read some of our awesome reviews on the show in the past and we'll read yours if you write one so head on over to apple podcast and do that but in the meantime my name's Pete, you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. And I'm Scott Youngbauer on Instagram, Oscar Scott on Twitter, and just Scott Youngbauer on Letterboxd. Yes, indeed. Head over there and check us out. See what I'm watching. Yes, yes, yes. We are also at Movies That Made Us Gay on Twitter. <laughs> No, we are not. We are also at Movies That Made Us Gay on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are MTMUG Pod. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. We'll cut that all together nicely. Sure. <laughs> but until then, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.